when I was little, I was terrified of the basement. It was dark and musty, filled with boxes and Christmas decorations. Monsters of all kinds. The giant iron furnace lurked in the dark, glowing with this rage, biding its time, waiting patiently for me to make my way ever so near. And then <laughs> snatch me in its clutches, eating eight-year-old little Aaron for dinner. I would stand at the top of the stairs, my imagination running wild, terrified of, of what lurked in the shadows. I'd hear these strange noises emanating from the depths of the earth, the swoosh and tumbling sounds of the washer and dryer, the creaks and pops in the floorboards, the sound of water rushing through the pipes. All of them became the snarls and grumbles of monsters lurking in the dark, hungry for little children like me. But I had to go down there. I, I couldn't leave my men to fend off these beasts alone. You see, my G.I. Joes had already begun the frontal assault, courageously parachuting down the laundry chute, deep into the monster's lair. They needed me. I was their backup, the one who, according to our attack strategy, would, would strike the fatal blow into the heart of the beasts of the basement. And together, together we would clear a pathway to the back corner of the basement where my dad was working in his study. It's so easy to be paralyzed by fear, isn't it? To stand at the top of the stairs and let your imagination get the best of you. To allow all of the monsters and beasts to grow larger than life itself. Leaving us with nothing but ourselves as a puddle on the floor. I'm not sure we ever grow out of this fate. I still get scared walking into dark basements. But the monsters... They grow with us. They morph and they shift. They become respectable fears. Fears that have paralyzed our lips, preventing us from speaking out. Because what would people think of me? Or why would anyone listen to little old me? I mean, do I even have anything to say? And would it even come out right? Different grades of fear made respectable allowing the monsters to fester and grow unchecked, raging out of control below as we cower at the top of the stairs. Fear not, Jesus commanded us. Fear not. It's a command that's written all over Scripture, 365 times, in fact. It's, it's the most prevalent command in all of Scripture. Fear not. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, writes Paul to his young disciple Timothy, but of power and love and self-control, which just sounds so much easier said than done. Which is why I love how Paul wraps up the letter to the Ephesians. He talks about putting on the armor of God as protection against the monsters that have grown and spread all around us. 
And for the longest time, I believed that this armor was simply there to protect me, to to help me withstand the onslaught of whatever may come. That as I stood at the top of the stairs awaiting the attacks of the monsters, this armor, it, it made me safe. That I could simply stand there. And you know, I, I think a lot of people think the same way. That God is going to protect us and we can just stand there. But you know... The longer I stood there, I began to realize just how perilous this was to my faith. Finally, Paul writes, Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Stand. That's a troublesome word right there. A word that we've taken to be passive. Like waiting in line outside of Trader Joe's or Molly Moon's. It's such a boring, passive affair. It holds with it this idea that we're just waiting for something to happen to us and that this armor of God will protect us while we wait. But that's not what Paul's saying here. This word stand is actually an active verb. That There is this activity in the standing, not passivity, not a waiting or a coasting by. It was actually a, a word used as a military term in the past. That the guard was at work organizing themselves, preparing the kingdom around them, organizing their way of life and culture, steadying themselves and training and in their values, standing at the ready. And here we are as Christians, Paul telling us, live and love in such a way that together you are strengthened in the ways of Jesus, that, that we are literally bringing heaven to earth, that we are actually on the offensive, not sitting back and waiting to be attacked, but creating a new culture of love and hope around us. And, and in the doing, we're breaking down the systems and structures, the rulers and authorities of evil and darkness that surround us, that, that we are taking the battle to the forces of evil and lies and hatred and enmity all around us, that we would take to the battle with the belt of truth. You see, we're not a passive people a people who sit back and cower away in fear. We're an incubator of revolutionaries. We are a people fitted for battle against all of the evil this world conjures up and prepares. A, a, a people who speak up and speak out against children in cages, who work to reunite families who have been separated by the powers of this dark world. A people who speak against racism and racist systems and structures. Systems that continue to communicate that, the, that because of the color of your skin, you are something other. Armed with the belt of truth, we speak, we act, we reveal the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, where every tribe and tongue and nation are present together in harmony. We pray thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we await 
the marriage of heaven and earth, the glorious coming of God's kingdom of unity, of love in this place. And in this all, we know this world is a dangerous place for those who would speak up and out against justice or injustice, against financial systems of oppression and caste systems that relegate people to objects of scorn and enmity. The gospel of Jesus is an empowering gospel that seeks to create change, to reveal the inbreaking of the kingdom of heaven here in this place right now. But we don't believe it's possible. We sit in fear and we cower in the corner and allow the worst of our human impulses, our monsters, to reign supreme. But that's what fear wants, isn't it? To keep you right where you are, to paralyze you, to keep you from taking even one step forward. But here's the thing. Fear, fear never moved mountains. Fear allows evil to run rampant. Is it any wonder that the most prevalent command in all of Scripture is fear not? We're two years old as a church, and it's amazing to think that nearly a quarter of our existence has been in quarantine. And when this pandemic is all said and done, we very well could have spent over half of our entire existence as a church community in this space. It's hard to believe. It's, it's hard to wrap your mind around. And I know this isn't what anyone expected. I, I know this isn't what anyone hoped or imagined. And I know there are some really serious questions running around. What, what will we even look like as a church when this pandemic is all said and done? Will we even survive this pandemic? Will United cease to exist at some point if this continues on for too long? To be honest, I'd be lying if I said those questions haven't rattled around in my head and in my heart. I've, I've given six years of my life to making this church happen. I've asked family and friends to believe in this thing, to give large sums of money to making this thing happen. I've asked you all to believe in this thing to give of yourselves to this community, to this grand experiment in believing that the church can be different, that we can be a people of love who do the unexpected and impossible together through Jesus. It's hard not to think about those things, truly. But here's the thing. I don't care what we will look like or if we'll still be around in a year or two whenever this pandemic is over. I care about what we look like right now. I care about what we are doing right now. I care that we're not standing at the top of the stairs cowering in fear. Because if we give in to the fear, we've already lost. And it won't matter that we're still around in two years because... We will have not been or become the people that God called us to be. Fear never moved mountains. Fear allows evil to run rampant. Fear not, Jesus said. Fear not. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. So suit up 
Get ready to take a step down the staircase into the basement and walk forward with the belt of truth fitted firmly around your waist, the breastplate of righteousness attached to your body, and the gospel of peace strapped to your feet as you take another step down the staircase of fear the shield of faith and the helmet of salvation at the ready, armed with the sword of the Spirit, ready to slay the evil that lurks below. Fear never moved mountains. And for us, for you and me, for this church, and for those in our city, it's, it's time for us to do some pretty provocative things in the name of love. To be a Christian is to live dangerously, honestly, freely, to step in the name of love as if you may land on nothing, yet to keep on stepping because the something that sustains you no empire can give you and no empire can take away. Love is dangerous. The life of the disciple, the follower of Jesus is dangerous. And if we, the church, sit safely, sit in safety, love will lose every time. Let me say that again. Love is dangerous. And if we sit in safety, love will lose every time. A friend of mine told me a story of when his son returned from summer camp. He, he tucked the little guy into bed and his son said, Dad, please don't turn off the lights. Could you stay with me? I'm really scared. They told us all these stories about Satan and the demons and I'm scared. He so desperately wanted to lean in to tell his son not to worry that they weren't real. But he knew in his heart the realities of the spiritual world. His son pleaded with him, Daddy, would you, would you pray that I would be safe? But he couldn't pray that for him either. He said, I could feel it. I could feel warm blanket Christianity beginning to wrap around him, a life of safety, of cowering in the corner at the top of the stairs. But I didn't want my son growing up in warm blanket Christianity. He looked at his son, sat beside him and said, son, I won't pray for you to be safe, but I will pray that God will make you dangerous. So dangerous that the demons will flee when you enter the room. His son tucked into bed, clutching the covers, swallowed hard, and said, All right, but could you pray that I'd be really, really dangerous? This is my prayer for you. This is my prayer for us as a church. Let us not concern ourselves with the future. Let us concern ourselves with this moment, with who we are right now. Because if we concern ourselves with who we are right now, if we seize this moment, the future will take care of itself. I stood at the top of the stairs listening to the monsters in the basement, their taunts growing louder in my mind. With each cautious step down into the beast's lair, my fear was only outmatched by my courage. And as the devil whispered in my ear, you're not strong enough to withstand the storm. With each step, I whispered back, I am the storm. We, you and me, we are the storm. 
The incubator of revolutionaries armed with love at our side, working and striving and praying the most dangerous prayer there ever was. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. May it be so. And may you know deep within your bones that you are the storm.